0: I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half As As Well, Well. where we promise Tolkien lore half as much as you should like. Explained
1: half as well as you deserve.
0: Okay, this is a big episode. We are closing out Book 2 of The Lord of the Rings.
1: Which brings us to the end of Volume 1, The Fellowship of the Ring.
0: So this section started with Chapter 6, Lothlorien, and brings us all the way through Chapter 10, The Breaking of the Fellowship.
1: Yes. You want to just get right into it? Yep. Our last episode ended with the fall of Gandalf on the bridge of Khazad-dûm fighting the Balrog. His uh, sacrificial death so that they could escape, essentially.
0: After their mourning, the fellowship continues on without basically their de facto leader.
1: Yeah, and it's really going to be up to Aragorn kind of to lead them from here on out. Um, He was kind of the number 2 as we saw kind of on the way from Rivendell they were debating about you know which ways to take so it kind of really seemed you know Aragorn knows his way in the wild he's also the king so after Gandalf he's the next guy in line and now he is unexpectedly seeing himself thrust into a position of leadership you know he was really wary of Gandalf going through Moria and for good reason and um now his worst fear has come true
0: exactly so they decide to head to lothlorien
1: yeah um really quick on the way uh Gimli wants them to stop and look in the mirror mirror, this lake outside of the doors of Moria. And I just kind of want to add on to some stuff that we said last time about Gimli and Frodo and how, you know, they both grew up wanting to go on this quest. So I always found it very interesting that he tells Frodo, of all people, like, I will not have you, like, pass this spot without looking into the mirror. And uh, so, yeah, they go and there's definitely some dwarvish kind of magic at play there. They see the stars appear in their reflection in the water, even though... The stars aren't out right and um it's definitely this kind of eerie but cool uh experience that you know sam is deep in thought after he doesn't really answer mary pippin's questions and i just again think this is a really cool part of gimli that you know they're in haste they're the orcs are coming down to chase them and he tells aragorn i'm sorry i have to go look and, right. and aragorn's understanding of this yeah. too he's like okay but be quick so i've always thought this little part was kind of cool But then after that, like you said, looking ahead to Lothlorien. Um, So we're going from this old dwarvish realm into this old elvish realm.
0: On their way, they go to climb some trees and end up running into Haldir, who is one of the elves from Lothlorien.
1: Yeah, he's the March Warden um, on the kind of the borders of the land. Legolas is the first to meet him. And, you know, they're like kin from afar. Right. And, you know, he asks them who all is with you. And so he lists everyone in the fellowship except for Gimli. And they're like, well, who's the last one?
0: Right, exactly. And it's interesting here. Um, something that I notice is when Legolas responds, he says... Their ninth is a dwarf. He sort of distances himself from the entire party. Yeah, well, yeah, he
1: doesn't uh, list Gimli at all in with the other ones, and you know, because he knew this was going to be received badly.
0: Right. Um. But even when he's kind of providing the information, he's like, oh, well. They are a different group than me. I'm I'm an elf. Um, yeah, and uh, there's clearly a lot at play here as far as the different races and the the historic issues between mm-hmm. dwarves and elves.
1: Yeah, we get a sense that the elves really blame the dwarves for awakening the evil in the <laughs> mountain.
0: Yeah, I, I have a lot of opinions about elves from the these couple of chapters. Right now is not necessarily the the perfect time to go into all of those, but, um, yeah, from this very first interaction with Haldir, um, we get a very clear (laughs) message that these are very different elves than the Rivendell elves.
1: Right, like we heard Tolkien say in the Hobbit, the woodland elves were more dangerous and less wise. Right, these were the elves that never went to Valinor and saw the light of the gods, so they're a lot more suspicious folk. They're a lot more xenophobic. And we see a lot of that here.
0: So basically, presented with the idea that Gimli is part of this party, Haldir rejects it at first. The the first reaction, um, according to their law, got a lot of systemic racism. It's not just Haldir. And, And Haldir basically says that like hey this isn't like me saying he's like these
1: are the rules of our land (laughs) i just follow the rules exactly
0: um and like you're. he still says
1: things though like a dwarf that is not good oh (laughs) yeah totally uh, Totally. oh
0: absolutely um and the party protests and says you know i think it's frodo um says you know this is gimli he is trusted by elrond and if elrond trusts him there's no reason that any other elf shouldn't trust gimli and, you know, whatever your issues with all dwarves are, like, has nothing to do with this dwarf. Haldir kind of understands it, talks a bit with Legolas, and eventually it's decided that uh, that's fine, he can come, but he has to be blindfolded as we make our way to Lothlorien. And then he'll it'll be, it's not even decided kind of what his fate is going to be, it's going to be up to the lord and lady.
1: Exactly. And Gimli is pretty pissed off when he finds Absolutely. out that he has to be... Blindfolded. He's singled out among all the Fellowship. He's pretty much just like, hey, like, my folk are, again, kind of like what Frodo says, like, trusted by the elves. Right. And I have no quarrel with you. Like, I have absolutely nothing to do with you. Like, pretty righteously angry.
0: Absolutely. And I think Aragorn has a a pretty good uh, solution to this. He knows these elves. He knows that they are kind of stuck in their ways and suspicious. Um, Right. But he's not going to just let them discriminate against certain members of his party. So he says that everyone is going to wear a a blindfold.
1: Yeah. Well, I love that this is to the liking of everyone, except Legolas. Except Legolas. And <laughs>
0: actually, Gimli says, you know, not everyone has to blindfold themselves. I would be happy if only Legolas had to blindfold Yeah, themselves.
1: which I love. And I don't know, again, I don't have a favorable reading of Legolas reading no, this. He's just no. like, now he's all entitled. He's just like, wait, I'm I'm bitch. of these people. Why yeah. do I have to do this? And Aragorn's like a plague on the stiff necks of elves. Yeah, like, exactly.
0: After, which is, you know, of course, calling back to what Legolas had just said about, about Gimli. Gimli
1: and dwarves. Yeah. So yeah, I love that Aragorn's just immediately shutting that down. Like I said, he has to lead after Gandalf's mm-hmm. death. This is one of the first times he really steps up to make like a leadership decision. Right. And we see his wisdom and his fairness. Just a few things that we'll come to expect of him as the heir to the throne. But Haldir begins to lead them across the river into the lands of Lothlorien. And Frodo can immediately feel a change when they step on the further shore. And it's something similar that, you know, they feel like in Rivendell too. And there's actually a comparison where it feels like in Rivendell, memory of ancient things still right. lived on. Mm-hmm. But in Lothlorien, ancient things walked the earth.
0: Right. It's still alive. It's still happening.
1: And there's just this timelessness to Rivendell and Lothlorien that, as we'll come to see, you know, Elrond and Galadriel are keepers of two of the elven rings of power. And that's the reason for why their realms are so secretive and protected. And so, supposedly untouched by time, that was the power of the elven rings that were created by Celebrimbor in the Second Age at the tutelage of Sauron, who deceived them all and made the One Ring. And that'll be important as we're going on into the next chapter, talking a little bit about Galadriel. But just before the end of this chapter, they're taken to a spot where Frodo beholds Aragorn, who's kind of lost in this memory. And we'll also see in these chapters... You know, Aragorn's been to Lothlorien before, and if it wasn't clear to you by this point, he kind of has a thing for that daughter of Elrod. Um, it's a lot more subtly played here in the books than the movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, if you've been paying attention, I, you know, um, there's these little moments. Like Bilbo said, the Lady Arwen wasn't at the dinner. Right. It's and... it's
0: kind of amazing, um, consider like coming from watching the movies where entire like montages and scenes yeah. <laughs> are just dedicated to looking at how beautiful Liv Tyler and Viggo Mortensen are together. Yeah, <laughs> there's, like, none of that. Yeah. um, Just, like, very, very small hints that there's a, a
1: romance going
0: on. Yeah. And or the... a connection. You don't even know mm-hmm. if it's a romance, but... Exactly.
1: And one of the appendices in The Lord of the Rings actually is, like, the tale of Aragorn and Arwen. And okay. it goes into Aragorn's past, and that's where a lot of the stuff from the movies came from. But... Aragorn spent some time in Lothlorien with Arwen a long time ago when they were younger. And so that's what he's kind of remembering here. But anyway, then they go into the capital of Lothlorien and meet the Lord and the Lady.
0: It's pretty funny, given how racist their reception was initially into Lothlorien, that Galadriel, who clearly is the holder of power here, compared to her, her husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, she clearly is the one who's running a lot. Um, she really rejects that concept, which I mean, to me, it's a big question like, why is that still a belief? <laughs> like if if the leader is is pretty vehemently against the kind of racism that Gimli just experienced what what's going on you're you have the power to kind of shift some of that
1: right and I mean I think a lot of this is kind of uh a little bit of Celeborn erasure like let's he's the lord of Lothlorien I mean I know you said and I would agree that she is the more powerful
0: he like he like spouts off some racist shit and she basically says like check yourself and then he's like oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 I get it right yeah yeah. and there's (laughs) I don't I don't know Sure, he's the lord, whatever. He doesn't possess a ring of power, though. Exactly. But... Lest he be erased. Tell me more about his whole deal.
1: There is a difference for why Celeborn and Galadriel treat the dwarves differently. Well, Celeborn has a few different origins. Tolkien never quite said on it. But, you know, one of the main ones was that he was one of the woodland Sindar elves of the First Age, related to the Elven King Thingol, who was killed by dwarves over this feud that we've talked about a little bit in the Hobbit. And this is why the woodland elves do not trust dwarves at all. So he's definitely holding on to this very ancient grudge, even though Gimli's people had absolutely nothing to do with it. Galadriel is of one of the high elves of Valinor, and they were most beloved by Aule, the Smith, who also created the dwarves. We'll get into that in the Silmarillion. So there's already this kinship between the High Elves and Dwarves, in a sense, that just the Woodland Elves do not have. But, again, as powerful as Galadriel is, Lothlorien is still very much, I think, Kelleborn's land. Gotcha. I so see his saying. rules...
0: She's a foreign queen.
1: Exactly. Okay. She's come to this land gotcha. and ruling over this foreign people. Okay. But she obviously...
0: Yeah, She. Um, she's the one pulling... Some big strings in their right. in their meetings with her. Right. Um, I just want to say, like, <laughs> this whole section of chapters is full of transcendent experiences. Yeah. Um, basically every story beat is just them kind of tripping out over another thing. Um, I mean, next to experience. the house of
1: Tom Bombadil, this is probably one of the more magical places in Middle-earth, along with, I'd say, Rivendell.
0: Absolutely. And and with their talking to Galadriel, every time she turns her eye to a member of the Fellowship, they're suddenly overcome with this other interaction with her in which she's presenting them an option other than continuing on their quest and, yeah. and sort of tempting them.
1: No, she's absolutely um, tempting them all one by one and testing their hearts if they're really up to this quest. And this is actually a really crucial part in the story for Boromir. Earlier, before they went into La Florian, Boromir was the one that was the most hesitant He was like, we've heard stories about people that go in there and they don't come out. Aragorn's like, well, if you say they don't come out unchanged, that's nearer. Like, no one can go through Lothlorien and not come out a changed man.
0: Right. But they're not necessarily worse off.
1: Yeah. And, well, he says, like, I heard it's perilous. And he's like, it is perilous. (laughs) Um, You know, to, like, totally uh, put yourself out there, just naked and vulnerable. And, you know, he says that evil doesn't enter this land unless someone brings it in there with them. Right. And so Bormir at this, to this point, has been, you know, we saw at the council, he, um, he suggested they use the ring, but then right. was quickly corrected, and he's never really brought it up again. It's no. never really been an issue. He's grumbled a lot about the choices they've made on their journey, like which way they're going to go, but he's never questioned what the quest is all about to destroy the ring. But we know he had issues, and, you know, we know that his people are suffering as this is currently going on. They're on the front lines of the war. So Boromir has entered Lothlorien with kind of a stain on his heart. And now that Galadriel's tempting them all, we don't know what he was offered. But I think given what we see later, um, right, you can maybe assume he was shown a vision of
0: him, leading with him the taking of the ring, ring. and,
1: yeah. um, like, using it to defend Gondor. Right. And this is just going to kind of fester in him until it reaches a breaking point. Absolutely. And I think before we move on to the next chapter, we get a really great sense here of the overall dilemma of the elves. We talked about how this land is kind of protected by the power of Galadriel's ring, as is Rivendell. But we know that those rings were bound up by the power of the one, you know, one ring to bind them. We get this very classic elvish sorrow as we're traveling through the Thorian of a fading world. Mm-hmm. And for them, it kind of sucks because there's no real winning this. They're committed to seeing the end of Sauron, but if they destroy the One Ring, then they know, too, Lothlorien will also fall. Right. And that they will have to either uh, fade away or leave Middle-earth forever. Yeah. From our interactions with Haldir and Galadriel and Celeborn, we just kind of get this sense that this is their kind of last fight. Helping the Fellowship of the Ring on their way is like the last thing Lothlorien is going to do, really in this whole set of affairs this is really the passing of the torch from elves to men
0: I gotta say and this isn't something that I've felt necessarily before in these books but these chapters in Lothlorien really turned me off of the elves actually I interesting yeah um I think it's like they are as much as they're doing something pretty you know helpful like hey, come hang out with us and eat food. It's very clear how out of touch with the actual, (laughs) like, the goal of the fellowship that they are. They're just living in a fucking dream world, man. Like, they're just in Lothlorien doing their elf thing. And I love something that Sam says to Frodo. He's like, you know, it reminds me a lot of the Shire, where it's, it's so clear that, there's this connection between the land and, and its people and yeah. to the extent that, like, they so belong here. Yeah. Um, Even more so than the Hobbits and Hobbiton. But he also says, like, I nothing really happens here. They don't want anything to happen. They just want things to stay exactly the same. And, right. and for no- nothing, there's no work. There's no... Yeah, feats there's there's no goals. Th-
1: and Tolkien th- makes it clear this is the major sin of the elves that right. Sauron was able to ensnare them by is this kind of nostalgic longing for like things never to change. Right. And again, in Rivendell, even though it was like winter, there's these little moments where they say like and it felt like summer still lingered there. Right. Um I get the feeling it's probably like that kind of all year round in Lothlórien. Uh, the leaves don't fall in the winter. Right. Only in spring do the new gold leaves open. Exactly. So it's this eternal spring. Uh, yeah, the elves don't want winter. They don't want death and decay. And this is direct opposition to Tom Bombadil, who totally. we saw is totally in with the seasons. Right. <laughs> um, he's all about like the change of the seasons, and the elves kind of want eternal spring, eternal summer, that's it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that really just struck me as... Um, I, I think especially we've talked you know, off air, <laughs> mm-hmm. not on the podcast, um just about how how Peter Jackson is very focused on elves and he yeah. makes them the most beautiful and, and and they're so
1: enlightened and exactly.
0: And, yeah. and, and, and not are... that they aren't. They are. But... Right, they're clearly higher tech in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh you know, they kind of just take magic for granted. We can talk about that in a second. I never truly felt that because I hadn't mm-hmm. had the experience with the the book, but um in this, I mean you know, at this point in the story, like I'm pretty attached to Frodo and Sam right. as far as like the emotional center of the story. I like the other characters, but um their kind of reaction to the Lothlorian Elves is interesting and, and I feel like in a lot of ways they're trying to be polite. They they're like, Oh, there's nothing wrong with this, but like we gotta we kinda gotta go. <laughs> We have, like, yeah, a really we can't serious We linger
1: mission. here forever. Yeah, yeah
0: we, we have to leave this place.
1: I think that leads us well to the next chapter. Right as Frodo and Sam are thinking, it's like, we need to get a move on. Well, then Galadriel, who they haven't really seen since their <laughs> right. first showing, um, shows up. And just like, follow me. Come look <laughs> into my mirror. Yeah.
0: I will say, Galadriel is... is of all the elves that have like speaking roles in this section, Galadriel's the most interesting to me. Oh, uh, yeah, um, I mean she's super high powered, clearly, and tricksy and witch like. So I she's I,
1: the sorceress of the golden ex- wood.
0: Exactly, I, I think she's really cool. She takes them to her mirror. It's funny because they, Frodo and Sam were just talking about elvish magic and if they wanted to see any more of that and sam was like oh i'd love to see some them do some tricks i'm sure they can do some marvelous yeah. things uh and he's not really prepared for the terrible reality that is galadriel's power
1: oh no not at all and yeah she warns him she's just like you know, seeing <laughs> is dangerous i mean much like what gildor said advice right. is dangerous right um which seems to be a very common theme with the elves they mm-hmm. don't want to be responsible, really, Which is for another, swaying you. That's another in.
0: annoying thing Uh that, like, I get it. I get it. Yeah, but, I like, mean, seriously.
1: No, I mean, yeah, but this is just, like, the larger thing. They're, I mean, they're abdicating responsibility right, to they're mankind. Leaving. Yeah. They're leaving. They've already lost. Totally. Pretty much. So yeah. they're just like, well, I guess kind of help you. Um <laughs> It doesn't matter. We already lost. It so we're going home. Me,
0: it reminds me of, like, when you're working a shitty job and you've just, like, given up. Yeah. And you're like, you get a new person to work with and you're like, yeah, I'll I'll show you the things, but seriously, like, don't even
1: You should get a new job. Like you should get a new
0: (laughs) job. Like I'm trying to get a new job. Um that's what they remind me of. That's funny.
1: But yeah, so Sam looks into the mirror, he sees uh, you know, the Shire all uh dug up and industrialized.
0: Yeah. He shrinks away in fear and uh, for a moment sort of loses his grip uh his his center on the mission
1: yeah he this. wants to run back I home. Go home and um yeah as we'll see you know later as we go on this is not a a fear that's unfounded that he sees in this mirror this is no. pretty much like what's happening right now in the shire while he's away from home and we'll find out why that is later uh and then Frodo looks into the mirror mm-hmm. And he sees a few things. He sees an old man coming down a mountain and he thinks, Is this Gandalf on one of his journeys? Is it, Sauron? Is it Saruman? Uh, Saruman? Yeah, because um, he's never met Saruman. All he has is right. his description from Gandalf that he's another wizard. And then he sees the eye, the yeah. eye of Sauron searching for him. Absolutely. And Galadriel's like, I have seen this too.
0: Yeah, I find it really interesting in this section that Frodo questions Galadriel as to why. He doesn't have the ability to hear what the other ring bearers are thinking um or to like you know
1: command other people right um...
0: and she's basically like dude you haven't worn the ring <laughs> like yeah, for one you
1: haven't tried um really.
0: yeah you haven't been attempting to do so it's not that you can't but also you would have to have tons of power yeah. before coming into possession of the ring In order to to do something like that.
1: Yeah, and well, this kind of also gets to what they were saying at the Council of Elrond, that to command the ring, you would have to become like Sauron. Right. So Frodo is still a very nice hobbit. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) He's not going to try to violate other people's minds and stuff. So, um, yeah, of course he doesn't have this power yet. Um, And thank goodness.
0: No, absolutely. He's remained
1: pure this long.
0: Um, Yeah, and she basically says, like, don't try. Like, there's no good in that. That's, like, the one very clear advice she gives yeah. is absolutely do not wear the ring and try to use it.
1: Yeah. And so in the midst of all this um, bewilderment with this elf witch queen, Ferda just realized, this is too much for me. Yeah. Do you want this? Like, I think you, if anyone like, could. Like, I know,
0: I don't know shit. <laughs> I'm, like, a dude. I'm in way over <laughs> I right. think This is a lot.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and, oh man, Galadriel wants it.
0: <sighs> I love this part. Because
1: <laughs> remember what we said earlier about the elves, about how uh, once the ring is destroyed, the elves, Lothorian will fall and they will have to fade and or sail away to the uh, west. Right. The only way that doesn't happen is if Be- Galadriel becomes the Lord of the Rings. Right. Um, and here's this hobbit offering her that very chance. Yeah. And even going back to the Silmarillion, all she's ever wanted is to rule her own lands with no one else above her <laughs> right. to tell her what to do. Like, yeah. she is the one ruler. She's always been a little power hungry. And again, this is what she's fought and suffered for for so long throughout all the ages. And she realizes, though, um, she makes the choice. No, we lost. I I will diminish and go into the West.
0: I just love her little moment of of um ego mania though i I, it's one of my favorites and like part of me the darker part of me that likes dark characters just wants her to fall into that hole
1: yeah i love some of the descriptions she uses um fair as the sea stronger than the foundations of the earth dreadful (laughs) as the storm and the lightning already these very elemental things right. usually used with capital letters i always tend to think of like the valar she's uh-huh. comparing herself to almo and Aule and manway like right. literally these gods of the world and she believes she could be as mighty as them if she commanded the one ring yeah and so the fact she turns this down is
0: it's pretty big yeah and it's a pretty quick turn too um,
1: well, I don't know. I Like I said, she's had ages to mull this over.
0: Right. But in the moment that they're watching her, you know, kind of go on this rant and everything is dark except for her. Right. Um, she's glowing with light and uh, having that, you know, power trip on just the image and thought of of becoming the Lord of the Rings and uh, or the Lady of the Rings. And it's pretty quick for her to say, nope. I passed. I passed the test. That was the test. I'm good.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm fine. (laughs) And I mean, (laughs) and and just as this is a huge turning point for Galadriel, I mean, this is also when, you know, with Frodo, he's now pretty much doomed to like, nope, this is on you. Yeah,
0: this is your whole deal. And
1: now they've come to Lothlorien. All their hearts have been tested. And now Frodo's truly and even Galadriel's been tested. So now the time has come for them to leave.
0: Right. As we move into this next chapter, I think this is where I realized how annoyed I was at these elves uh, when they come down the river in a swan boat that is just, like, gilded and beautiful. And at first they're like, whoa, what a beautiful swan. And then they're like, oh, it's a boat. (laughs) I was just like, these people. Leave it to the elves to be
1: a little extra. Just,
0: like, very extra. Like, come on. They're about to, you know, I know at this point that Frodo's, about to go on this horrible journey that he's never really going to return from. Yeah. And they're just like, okay, let's have a feast.
1: So obnoxious. Yeah. Well, they do give them some gifts before they totally, go. Totally, yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't
0: let me be a hater. I just, ugh.
1: No, I get it. <laughs> um, we get some really interesting gifts here too uh one that i love a lot kind of continuing my affection for the character of gimli i think we get some really great moments here with him yes he uh asks him to name like what would you desire he names a single hair from her head and all the elves are astonished (laughs) and uh she ends up giving him three and he says that i will make this into like an emblem of my house and There's actually some really cool backstory to this whole thing and why the elves are so astonished. Way back in ancient times, before the War of the Silmarils, when Galadriel lived in Valinor in the Undying Lands, her kind of uncle Feanor, the greatest craftsman of elves, before he made the Silmarils, was struck by the beauty of her hair and asked her three times for a strand of her hair. To put in his gems. And she says no. You're kind of creepy. Like, I mean, you're kind of my uncle. Stop, you know, asking me for hair. Yep. Um, (laughs) Very weird. And he just makes the Silmarils instead. From the light of the two trees. Instead of the light of her hair. Which ends up, you know, causing, of course, all of that. Yeah, And so... The fact that a dwarf asks for this, and all of these elves are probably thinking of this story when he does, and then they're so shocked that she actually gives it to him, because he's not asking out of possessiveness like Feanor was. He's asking to like cherish it.
0: Right. From the very beginning, since they've been in Lothlorien, as soon as Gimli makes eye contact with Galadriel, it's said that he feels like he's looking into the eyes of the enemy and finding love and understanding there so he's really just had a great (laughs) relationship with her interaction he has the high, holds her in the highest esteem
1: well and then she repeats these things about you know the waters of i'm gonna butcher this like Kelad zaram and he's again like gimli is these names are so Right. meaningful to him. Absolutely. And now here is this elf queen uh,
0: acknowledging his And not just
1: like saying, yeah. you know, the elvish word for it. She's using like the dwarvish words for it and um that means so much to him. Right. And yeah, he definitely finds himself an ally there with Galadriel seemingly surrounded by a bunch of racist enemies. Right.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Um and yeah, so this is just kind of uh continuing that. And I'd say even more so than his friendship with Legolas. His uh admiration for the Lady Gladriel and her gift to him is this huge symbol of alliance between dwarves and elves. Yeah, absolutely. She gives Aragorn a green stone, the LSR. A little backstory. Remember earlier in many meetings when Bilbo sang the lay of Aerendil, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Elrond's father who sailed into Valinor with the Silmaril and Was launched into the skies as a star of hope Aragorn's whole contribution to the song was, he thought that there should be a green stone in there he thought it important Um, this was the LSR that Eärendil took, and it was kind of like a lesser Silmaril that was made of the light of um, the sun shining through green leaves and Celebrimbor, the guy who made the Elvish Rings of Power, later had made another one that he had gifted to Galadriel to replace the one that Eärendil sailed away with, in addition to the Silmaril. So then Galadriel gave this to her daughter, Calabrian, who gave it to her daughter, Arwen. And now Arwen has sent it to Lady Galadriel to give to Aragorn. And Aragorn's name as king will later be King Elisar, King Elf Stone, because he wears this stone that is said to help heal the hurts of the world around it. Again, this is a passing of the torch from the elves right. to man. Aragorn yeah. will one day be king. So use this stone well. And speaking of arendil Frodo gets this file with the light of arendil and his Silmaril in it. So that will be very important to Frodo uh, as he's going on his journey later on, especially in Mordor. Um, again, the light of arendil is a symbol of hope for the people of Middle-earth, that the, um, the Valar and the gods and Iluvatar, the creator, have not abandoned them. And it's the light of the Silmaril still, even though that war has long since uh, passed, you know, the light of the Silmaril still shines on and is still helping these heroes.
0: So they head out on their way.
1: They start flowing down the great river Anduin.
0: And it's at this point that they confirm an earlier suspicion they're being followed. And it is none other than our good old pal Gollum.
1: Right. Frodo has been seeing him. He saw him in Moria. They saw him right when they got into Lothlorien. There have been some little comments about how he's not quite an orc. Um, They keep seeing the light of his eyes. And now Sam has seen him in the river.
0: And Sam and Frodo resolve, okay, we'll tell everyone in the morning and then we'll deal with it. Um, But I like that, you know, a little later in the evening, they wake up again. Aragorn's like, what's going on? And Frodo's like, well, I think it's... I think Gollum's following us, and Aragorn's like, ah, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> he's like I've tried to capture him. A I've tried to times. catch him a few times, but he's like, he's super dangerous. Like, we either need to make use of him, um, or just completely avoid him.
1: Right, and yeah, I find it interesting that Aragorn hasn't told anyone really, know. or at least he hasn't <laughs> exactly. told the Hobbits. Again, yeah. this is another uh, situation where he's in uh, the role of leadership, and yeah. he's elected not to tell people that Gollum is following them, yeah. which I think Un- is
0: very interesting.
1: Yeah. And also speaking of Aragorn's leadership, you know, now they have to really get on the journey and decide where to go. And he was really glad that Celeborn gave them boats so that they can flow down the river and they don't have to decide until they get to these falls, whether to go east to Mordor or west to Gondor. And we all know which way Boromir wants to go, which way he's like already been going. He was always going to go back to Minas Tirith. And Aragorn was going to go with him. But now it's kind of in doubt about what would Gandalf had wanted had he lived. This really kind of brings us into Aragorn's dilemma here. Um, He swore to Boromir, I will come with you to the front lines of the war and help you. And Frodo, I'll go with you as far as my way goes that way. But now he's like, I can't abandon Frodo.
0: Yeah, through their journey, it's become so much more clear what going (laughs) to Mordor is going to entail and uh, that it's going to be a lot more arduous than they first expected.
1: Right. And we see Boromir, like we said, he's just going to be festering ever since his heart was tempted. Yeah. And I feel really bad for him because if we go back to when he came up for the Council of Elrond, he had like a divine dream to like go to Rivendell and seek for the sword that was broken. You know, he's a man that values military might and I'm sure there's no place he would rather be than on the front line of the war. So for him to, like, take that journey upon himself, leave the war, he thinks this is extremely important. He goes there and he hears about this great weapon, the One Ring. But everyone's like, no, we have to destroy it. Right. And he's like, kind of like, okay, I came all this way and I thought I was getting some weapon. And so he can't use the One Ring. We know that the sword that was broken refers to Narsil, Aragorn's sword, and also Aragorn. Right. Essentially, the dream he had was to summon the king back to Gondor.
0: Right, exactly. And as we
1: know, he is the heir to the steward. He's the eldest son. So, I mean, this is essentially the steward of Gondor being sent to summon his king back home. At first, he's very doubtful of Aragorn, but as they've gone through this journey, he's grown to respect Aragorn a lot and really see that he is worthy to be king and also lead the fellowship. And so he also knows that Aragorn could be a great hope to his people. In their time of need. And really rally them. Right. Now it's like he's going back and realizing that there's a very real possibility. I might be coming back with neither the Ring nor Aragorn.
0: Right. Exactly. He might just be
1: going to his death in Mordor on this folly mission. I've wasted all my time. I've been away from home for months. I've been away from the war for months. My people have been suffering. He's really pissed off. And I really do feel for him. Especially when he says like, I'll go home alone if need be. If like my, you know valor hasn't won me any friendship here and he's kind of like it's kind of calling aragorn out like you said you would come with me and now you're thinking about not doing it so i just feel really bad for him and his later situation that this all kind of builds up to
0: yeah it's it's at this point in the book where it's clear that he's pretty affected by everything that's happened and later on sam comments like he's been pretty weird (laughs) lately he's like not acting normal
1: oh yeah i love the comment when mary and pippin are like in the boat with him and they're just like And they weren't too happy about being with Boromir because he was just talking to himself and (laughs) grumbling and like... Yeah. Yeah. So he's like just not in a good place right now. He's got a lot to say and no one seems to be really wanting to hear what he wants to say.
0: They're being chased by orcs.
1: Yeah, at one point the river takes them closer to the eastern shore and they're fired upon by orcs. So we know that they're nearby. Right. Then Legolas goes and shoots down something from the sky. We're not really told what it is. But Frodo seems to have some idea. And I think that comes from his old wound. Right. I think he can sense one of the ringwraiths is near. I think this is one of their flying fell beasts. So... This is one of Legolas's cooler moments. <laughs> um, he shoots down, you know, one of the Ringwraith steeds. That takes us to the end of uh, this part of the quest. They come to the falls and now they really do need to decide. Aragorn's put off the decision and procrastinated long enough. <laughs>
0: and He puts it off again and basically says, you know, Frodo, this is your decision. And honestly, I think that's what Gandalf would have said too. If he were here, he'd he'd leave it up to you where we were going. Whether we would all go to Menestirith for a little bit or if you would separate now yeah so they send frodo off into the woods for a little bit of a ponder and wander and frodo's pretty bent out of shape here he's he's as close as we've seen him to being distraught i think through this whole story
1: yeah i mean he's just like faced with like this impossible task and he like he knows with absolute certainty he has to do it but it's just like how do I even set my foot on that path?
0: Yeah. And he also knows that he doesn't want anyone else coming with him. He he right. wants to bear this cross by himself.
1: Which ties back, I think, really well to the beginning of the book with him leaving the Shire. Yeah, and he's absolutely. just like, I'm not leaving anyone. Or I, I can't take anyone with me on this journey. Like, I can't lead them into exile like this. And now it's not just exile. It's like leading them to the land of death.
0: <laughs> and it's then that Boromir happens across him in the woods. And... At first, you know, it, it seems like maybe Boromir is consciously there to try to convince him to come to Minas Tirith um, in a in a normal way, <laughs> um, yeah. and it slowly becomes very evident that the ring is at play here, um, and he he his mind has on some level succumbed to the power of the ring,
1: right. This festering is now reaching a breaking point. Before he heads back home, like he said, alone if need be, um, this is his last chance to try to convince Frodo. Before Boromir comes out of the woods to confront Frodo about this, as Frodo is in the midst of his thoughts, the book here says, A strange feeling came to him, that something was behind him, that unfriendly eyes were upon him. He sprang up and turned, but all that he saw to his surprise was Boromir, and his face was smiling and kind. And I think... This, more than anything else, is evidence of that whole, uh, a servant of the enemy would look fair but feel foul. It says, unfriendly eyes were upon him, but face was smiling and kind.
0: Right, and it's, it's a very, that's such a chilling line in the book, because you know exactly what's going down at that point. You know, it doesn't take very long for Boromir to reveal his his true colors or really not his true colors, but more more so the the hold that the ring. Well, yeah. And, has and
1: it's on. like it makes me think whenever I read this, it's not like I think he's coming there with like, give me the ring. No, I think no. he is getting lost in the moment. He is coming there to comfort Frodo at first, but he is also very anxious and on edge. And I mean, for all these reasons we've said He's a desperate man
0: absolutely backed into a
1: corner right now,
0: well, and i I feel pretty confident absolving him of a lot of the aggression just because it it reminds me exactly of what we've seen from the ring before and people who desire to to bear it. Yeah. We've seen this kind of behavior from Gollum. we've definitely seen it from Bilbo, and yeah, I
1: was gonna say this time more than any other, I never made this connection, but when he asks him can I can I, can see, I see the see ring it? for a moment and Frodo's... You know, I think he has to be thinking back oh, to that moment. Absolutely. And I never thought of that before. And it's just like, no, of course he's not after that with Bilbo.
0: No. And I think even Frodo kind of knows it in the moment. As much as it's clear that Boromir does have like conscious <laughs> thought of his his own that involves using the ring. I think it's so clear at this point. Something is wrong with Boromir. And yeah. it's not necessarily within his control or his nature to do or say the things that he's doing
1: right i think it's also worth noting just how desperate the situation is here for him again even without the ring it's likely sauron will win this war so to boromir the ring does kind of seem like the only hope they have um it's extremely desperate for him and i i just really want to reiterate that but then you know we know that it keeps escalating to the point where he realizes Frodo is not going to hand it over willingly, so he's going to have to take it by force. You know, he lunges at Frodo in kind of a murderous rage and tries to take it from him, which is, you know, the ultimate betrayal for someone that has taken an oath to protect this person on their quest.
0: Right. But we also know that just from Gandalf's theories about how the ring, you know, came into the hands of Bilbo... From being in the the cave of Gollum. Why did he just stumble across it? And Gandalf sort of postulates that the ring and its owner are always trying to get back together. It's not a natural coincidence. There is a force of right. the ring trying to get closer to it. And clearly <laughs> uh, the ring is more likely going to be found by Sauron if it's in the hands of someone who has no qualms about using it. Um, Yeah. And revealing where it is, Uh, which we see right when Frodo throws it on his finger to escape Boromir and he just runs and runs and runs and then Boromir kind of snaps out of it. But when we are with Frodo, he goes up to the peak and looks all around and sees war. He sees all of it. And part of what he's seeing here to me feels very vision like. Um, and because of the power of the ring, not, it's not that he's literally looking around. I mean, I think some of this, yeah, I think he's literally seeing some of it.
1: And I also want to say, I think some of this is also the seat that he's at. This is an ancient high spot of the old Gondorian Kings. I think there's a little bit of magic, like of the old ancient Gondorian people that does kind of lend some of this sight. but also the ring ring. does as well. And,
0: And, um, so he's looking all around, he sees orcs in the Misty Mountains and, he, he just sees the preparation yeah. of war. And even though he sees people on their side, he also just sees the, the front building against them. Right. And then he realizes that he's being watched by, by Sauron. Sauron. Um, and Sauron
1: is like groping out with his hand, yeah. like his metaphorical <laughs> hand, uh, right. trying to find the ring.
0: It's clearer now more than ever before that when the ring is being used, Sauron is very aware that it's being used. Yeah. And that's when he's looking for
1: it. And you know, it. and the closer they get, the more powerful the connection between Sauron and his ring is. Right. So it becomes that much more dangerous. But also there's another power there. There's a voice. Yes. Um that is kind of countering the eye and telling him to take the ring off. Take the ring off, you fool. Um We'll find out who this voice is <laughs> later, but uh, I I've always loved this part. It's very uh, I don't know. It's like the, the Devil angel and, angel. and <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly on Frodo's shoulder, and uh, it's just such a, like, a weird, trippy scene with him on top of this seat, overlooking literally like most of Middle Earth. Absolutely, and I, seeing all around him 360.
0: I was really struck by just the imagery of being on this seat, looking all around um, after he's been through this very kind of traumatic personal experience oh, with yeah. Boromir sort of rising above it and his interaction with Boromir was disturbing but it also settled for him exactly how he's going to take his next step.
1: Yeah, well now he knows how the ring is working amongst his friends and allies and he's just like nope, I have to go off alone yeah. now. And much like we said earlier, you know, he's like, I, I can't take Sam. I can't take Merry and Pippin with me. But once he resolves to go, um, Boromir goes back to the group and they're kind of like, where's Frodo? Right. And he reports halfway what happened. <laughs>
0: he, he, and it's clear. It's not that he's holding back the other part. He's trying to he's figure He's still it processing out. Yeah, what happened. He, he clearly, you know, in his fugue state caused by the ring, Has a lot to settle within himself before he's like, Yeah, "Yeah, and I I mean, well,
1: we've only seen this heroic side of Born here before. For him to like try to kill someone, he his faith in himself has to be like completely shaken,
0: right? He's you know,
1: one of the valiant men of Gondor, we are true (laughs) to our word, yeah. And what did he just do? I mean, it's this is a traumatic moment for him.
0: I just wanted to say, I think this part is really interesting. You know, we've talked about this whole plot of the elves handing over power to the men of the world right. and i think this scene with boromir really shows why it's so important to try to get rid of sauron before men are truly the ones who claim the world because like Boromir's a great guy he's very valiant he, he as we said last episode the best of men you know right and it didn't take much right it didn't take it just took a desperate situation which we know sauron's causing everywhere for every people but
1: i mean look at how much frodo's endured and he's up till this point barely been affected by it for was just so quick
0: right so this kind of
1: as, as a testament also to the strength of the hobbits
0: yeah that really, to me, impressed upon the need to to deal with Sauron before the elves leave yeah. and before sort of the the elder wisdom of the yeah. magic
1: leaves. Yeah, and also if, you know, Boromir is representative of the men of Gondor, well, even if he's the best of men, we need something stronger than that <laughs> yeah. in the leadership position, which is Aragorn. Right, yeah. So even more important to get him back on the throne.
0: Right, exactly. Everyone spreads out to look for frodo when they went once boromir has confessed to them
1: aragorn tries to like get a hold of them but i I love this part again talking about um the evolution of aragorn as a leader at this point he's been kind of procrastinating a lot of like the choices and stuff and kind of being like i wish gandalf was here to make this choice for me he's not actually leading very well and so when Frodo goes missing, no one listens to him. Right. They all scatter.
0: <laughs> they just start yelling. <laughs> They're Mary, not quiet. Merry and
1: Pippin just run off. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just, it's definitely a sad state of affairs. And so Aragorn tells Sam to come with him, but of course...
0: But of course, Frodo cannot go anywhere without his Samwise. Sam's short and can't run yeah. as fast as Aragorn. So he stops himself and thinks, and I, I love this little soliloquy that Sam has with himself where he's like hey you, you don't have long legs but you have a brain figure it out and then it's funny it's almost like he's being told by someone else what's happening and he's having a conversation with Frodo um,
1: but... Yeah, Sam has a lot of these moments later <laughs> on, too. And it's, it's really great. I, it's, I love that about him.
0: Um, and uh, he's a great comical character and just, like, heartwarming character. He realizes, like, oh, I know where Frodo is. He's leaving. And I can't go looking for him. I just need to go and leave with him. I need to go with him. He's yeah. going to leave. He's going to leave his Samwise. And he says, he's like,
1: no, he wouldn't. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. Oh, he's he like, he's
0: totally going to do that. Um, and one of my favorite lines... He says, oh, that's hard. That's cruel hard.
1: Yeah, no. No, it's great. And earlier, like, when they were kind of, uh, when Fredo was gone, they were sort of debating amongst themselves. What do you think is going through Fredo's mind? And, like, they're all like, I think he's hesitating and blah, 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 And Sam's just like, plain as a pike staff it is. <laughs> um, but he's just like. No, like. He's not hesitating at all. He knows exactly what he has to do.
0: He's just trying to. He's trying to stick his courage in order. And to go.
1: again, Boromir's betrayal is what does that. And Aragorn says, "I think Sam speaks more wisely than any of us. So yeah. He he knows Frodo better than any of us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he
1: totally does. He knows Frodo would rather leave than put any of them in danger. Yeah. And so that's why he goes after him and braves the water that we know. There's so many experiences that Sam hates water. And then now he's nearly drowning to get back to Frodo. Um, it's a pretty intense moment.
0: But yeah, they are set off on their quest, separated from the Fellowship, and the Fellowship is officially broken.
1: Yeah, Frodo accepts Sam's help and work left with the chaos of whatever happened to the rest of the Fellowship. We don't know. It ends with Frodo and Sam and... um. You know, this book really kind of ends not with a bang, but sort of with a whimper. You know, the big climax is Boromir and Frodo's back and forth, as opposed to the big battle that we'll later see, like, the movies ended it. Right. But, which is a choice that I actually do like for the movies. Really? Yeah, but I also, I appreciate this in the book as well.
0: Yeah, what I like about the book um, is just that meditative moment on top of the mountain. And when he is resolving himself Mm -hmm. to, to the mission and seeing kind of for the first time, you know, through the whole book, they're so obsessed with staying out of the eye of sauron basically and and just staying out of notice and taking the back road taking the longer road around if mm-hmm. they need to um going through moria stuff like that they're they're trying to stay hidden the whole time and this feels like this first moment of like putting head above water and actually seeing like oh the lay shit. of the land <laughs> and it is not this good. is not good like i need to go right now
1: yeah and war war is happening and as the fellowship breaks up now we will go into seeing kind of different fronts of the war. Frodo and Sam will continue on their journey, and we know they're being dogged by Gollum, so we'll see how that plays out. Absolutely.
0: Another book down. So exciting. I know.
1: On to the Two Towers.
0: For our next episode, we will be reading Chapter 1, The Departure of Boromir, through Chapter 5, The White Rider, of The Two Towers, or Book 3, Volume (laughs) 2. I don't know how we're actually supposed to say where we're at in the books.
1: Yeah, it's uh, The Lord of the Rings, Volume 2, The Two Towers, Book 3.
0: Book 3. Okay. If you haven't already, please follow us on our Twitter page at halfaswellpod.
1: Or you can find us on halfaswellpodcast.com, where we have our reading schedule. And we also have our Hall of Fire blog, uh, so keep your eyes on that.
0: Okay. I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half Half as as well. Well.